to the Relentless CEO Podcast with Adam Kiefer. Follow your path to success alongside icons and industry leaders in martial arts, fitness, and more. This is the Relentless CEO Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Relentless CEO Podcast. I am your host, Adam Kiefer. We are bringing back one of the most popular episode formats we have ever done, which is the reaction episode. So we're going to be taking a look at videos on Instagram that I've been sent by Jody and some of the people in my inner circle and just random ones I've found that are martial arts, business, motivation related. And then I want to give you guys some feedback on those videos and sort of what I got out of these videos as I watched them. So our first video we're going to watch is from the notorious one, the one and only Conor McGregor. I don't eat with people that I wouldn't starve with. I eat with my own. I don't try and bring people in and have this kind of fake thing. Don't share a dinner table with people that you wouldn't starve with. All right, here's what I love about this video, okay? To me, McGregor's talking about allies versus friends. Uh, and you guys have heard me talk about this before on the podcast, but don't eat with people you wouldn't starve with. I always, I always think about it like, don't hang out with people that you wouldn't run into battle with. Okay. If you aren't confident in them being by your side in battle, as you're running out on the front lines, you can't trust that person. They shouldn't be in your circle. And this is probably one of the hardest concepts to take and put into action because we're so worried about other people's feelings and worried about other people's opinions. But there are people in your life right now that are providing no value and they're trying to hold you back to where they're at because they don't understand sacrifice. They don't understand what it takes to get to success. And those people are holding you back just by being around them. And you, you may not even realize this, but the talk that they give you the mediocrity talk that they give you of you work too much. Why are you always doing that? You should do this. Why are you doing that? Let's play video games instead. Let's go get high, whatever. Okay. Whatever they're feeding into your system, even if you're like, Oh, I don't want to do that. Subconsciously it's getting into your brain. And that's why it's so important to always edit your circle. I've had to edit my circle multiple times throughout the years. And yes, it requires some very difficult conversations to take place. And sometimes People understand and they say, hey, I get it. Other times they get offended and they say, screw you. I'm never talking to you again, but I'm willing to live with that part of it to be able to provide a better legacy for my family, to get to where I need to go in order to do that. And I know that I have to have the right people in my circle in order to get there. Like Travis, Kelly, my wife, like they are all like important parts of this inner circle where I can bounce ideas off of them. I know if I ask them to do something that I don't even have to check on it, like it's going to get done. I know that if I'm having a rough day or a rough week, they're checking in with me. Those are the people that you need around you. There are also the people that when I say, Hey, I have this great idea. Let's do this. Travis will be like, well, why not more? Why can't we go farther with it? Those are the people you want. You don't want the people that are like, Whoa, 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 you're going too fast. Why are you growing so fast, bro? Slow it down a little bit. Screw that. Allies over friends every damn day. All right, next. I don't even remember what this video is, so let's check it out. Don't complain. Don't talk negative. That's average people talk normal. Average people talk problems. The greats talk solutions. Don't complain. One more time. Don't talk negative. That's average. Average people talk normal. Average people talk problems. The greats talk solutions. Eric Thomas, the dude at the bottom. Uh, man, don't talk negative. Don't talk normal. Average people talk normal. Uh, this reminds me of a post I made like years back uh, talking about the averages, right? So like our industry, the average closing percentage is 50%. Uh, the average person works 40 to 50 hours per week. Uh, the average martial arts school makes about $25,000 a month. Okay. If you want to be the average, you shouldn't listen to this podcast because we're not about averages here. Okay. We're about being the best possible. We're about being the greatest, right? What that means is you also need to edit what is coming out of your mouth. You need to edit the thoughts that are happening in your head on a daily basis. Do I still have negative thoughts? Absolutely. Okay. But over the years, I've become so good. As soon as those negative thoughts creep in, I'm just like, shut up, motherfucker. Like, shut up. That's not what we talk about. 
okay? You guys need to make sure that we're being self-aware of the thoughts in our head and the words that are coming out of our mouth. And do they serve our purpose and do they serve our goals? There's a difference between being realistic and complaining, right? We've heard it before. Misery loves company. The people that tend to complain the most complain to other people because they want other people to feel the same way that, that they feel. Not the greats. The greats talk solutions. They talk visions. We, we have this rule uh, in all of our companies called the 131 rule. If, a, if an employee brings me a, a problem that they have or they need a solution from, okay, they can't just show up with that. They can't just show up with the problem. They need to come with three solutions and then they need to pick one solution that they feel is going to be the best fit. So what that means is one, three, one. They come with one problem. With that problem, they bring three possible solutions and then they highlight which solution is going to be what they think is the best option. Now, as the CEO of your company, now you're providing with provided with options. And sometimes the one they pick is the one that you agree with. And you're like, man, I would have gone with that same exact one. Other times they'll give you three solutions that suck. But you as a CEO then have to become the problem solver in that solution, right? But it's important that the people that are on our teams that we're training them on how to be solution focused and not just problem finders because problem finders don't actually fix anything. They don't actually make anything better. They just point and say, that's broken. That's not working. And then they just become someone that is a victim mindset and puts the blame on everything else. So it starts with you as a leader of your company, be solution focused. Okay. Be the one that as soon as you recognize a problem, you're thinking about the three possible outcomes on how you can solve that problem. And then train your team on how to do the same thing. So when they bring you a problem, they're coming to you with three solutions. They're highlighting the best solution to actually make a change. And now guess what, guys? Your brain power is reserved now because you have to make less decisions in your day because your team is coming to you with options instead of making you think of the options yourself. All right, let's jump into the next one. All right, this video I freaking love. All right, this is a young female martial artists that, oh my goodness, I'm just going to play it. Damn. You want to get like kicked by that girl? She will ruin you. How old is the guy? Like six? Like probably five or six years old, right? Um, we've talked a lot on this podcast about class quality and having high standards for your students. When you watch this girl, it doesn't look like she's going through the motions, okay? Does not look like she's just punching in the air, kicking in the air. She is striking with speed, timing, and here's the missing ingredient from 99% of martial arts schools, attitude. She is striking with attitude, you can see that as she's impacting the target, there is intent behind every technique. There is violence behind every technique. My challenge for all of you guys, and this is something that we've been continuously working on at, at my own schools, is injecting attitude into the training. There's times when we need to teach and we just need the students to follow and do the motions to get the technique. I totally understand that. But then the, there's times when we need to, to perform. We need to make it realistic. We need to pull out the attitude. Because if they're in a, a situation where they protect themselves, they can't just like go through the motions and focus on technique. If you had that, if all your students had the attitude of this little girl when they were striking, when they were hitting pads, when they had to protect themselves, I guarantee there's a much better chance of the outcome being in their favor. Because even if my power isn't the best, but I have attitude, ha, 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 ha and they have the game face behind it as they're striking to defend themselves, the other person's confidence is shrinking drastically because they just fucked with the wrong person and they're slowly realizing that in the situation. For you guys, how do you inject the attitude into your classes? Are there times when you say, guys, like this is the time when we dig in. I don't want karate yells. I don't want breathing. I want, huh, huh, huh. I want grunts. I want, uh. I want that attitude to come out in your strikes. Okay, make it real when you perform this time. You have to have this part of your training in your martial arts school because they need to be able to be able to flip their, their mindset from passive to violent in an instant when they need to protect themselves or when they need to protect their family. 
But if you don't actually train on that, where they can't just flip the switch in a moment's notice to bring attitude, they're not going to bring it when they actually have to protect themselves. They're going to go into fear mode. They're going to retract. No, we want them capable of violence when they need to be capable of violence. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we want violent students. We want students that are capable of violence when violence is necessary, when they're protecting themselves, when they're protecting their family, when they're protecting their kids. You need to be capable of violence in that moment. And you have to practice with your students on how to have attitude and be capable of violence. I'm sure every single person watching this would want a class full of people with the attitude that that little girl just brought hitting that pad. All right, let's jump to the next one. Champions do daily what everybody do occasionally. Everybody else does. Mm. You just do it daily. You're not extraordinary. You just do the ordinary extra. Mm. That's it. Let's listen to that one more time. That first line is damn powerful. Champions do daily what everybody do occasionally. Everybody else does. Champions do daily what everybody else does occasionally. Y'all need to pause and write this down. Champions do daily what everyone else does occasionally. They eat healthy daily. They work out daily. They work on their mindset daily. The best entrepreneurs and CEOs in the world have a daily routine that they follow. And most of the things in that daily routine include things that the average person just does occasionally. The average person occasionally will read a book. They will occasionally listen to a podcast. They will occasionally take a course. They will occasionally go to an event to learn about how to better themselves or better their business. The champions, the top-level CEOs, the top-level entrepreneurs, they make it a routine. They make it a daily habit. Some of the best, wealthiest people I know in business have the best discipline out of anyone I know. I know Mike Tyson had a video once I was watching where he said, discipline is doing the things you hate to do like you love doing it. That's what discipline is. There are workouts when I feel like puking afterwards. There are workouts when I'm driving an hour and a half to go train with my coach Randy at the MMA lab in Phoenix, an hour and a half drive, when I'm up at 4.30 in the morning and I'm just sitting on the side of my bed like, what the fuck did I sign up for? But I have to talk myself every single time to go train and I always go train no matter what because I know it's what I need to start my day because I know if I go through hell at the beginning of my day, no matter what else happens the rest of my day, it won't be as intense as the hell I went through in the morning. Everything else becomes easier as a result. So my question for you guys is, what are some things being done daily by the best in the industry, by the best business owners, by the best CEOs, by the best athletes, whatever your goal is, that you are doing occasionally? Now, Adam, how do I, how do I become consistent with this? Well, number one is, you have to time block. And I've gone over this in, in previous episodes. You have to time block your habits so you are intentionally creating time for these habits to ensure that they get done. The second thing is when you miss a day, when you fuck up, when you oversleep, you can't be so down on yourself that you just give up and say, screw it. Because it's gonna happen. You're gonna mess up. There's days I've messed up where I totally mess up my entire schedule for the day and I miss part of my daily routine. I miss my vitamins. I miss something, right? You give yourself grace and you say, hey, tomorrow I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it going again. I'm going to be back on track tomorrow. The problem I see with so many entrepreneurs is we're so self-critical that when we mess up the habit, when we mess up the time blocking, when we mess up the daily routine once, we give up on it altogether. And that does no service to you whatsoever. So time block it out, be intentional about that time. And what I would do, first of all, is make a list. What are the things you're doing occasionally that you need to be doing daily in order to elevate your life, to elevate yourself, to elevate who you're showing up as on a daily basis? Then once you have that list, then you're going to time block it out and be intentional. Even if you wake up an hour earlier, it is going to provide so much extra time to be intentional about creating greatness. Waking up one hour earlier a day gives you an extra 15 days per year, which means if your competition is sleeping in, guess what? 
you have an extra 15 days that they don't every calendar year, which means you have the opportunity to be way more productive, to implement more, to get ahead faster than your competition who's decided not to wake up an hour earlier. This is essential, guys. My daily habits, my daily routines has been one of the most important ingredients of continually growing my business, continually growing myself, and and getting in the right rooms. All right, let's jump to the next one. Helps with the volumes up, doesn't it? Let's try this again. Convicted child offender Jack Reynolds did an interview where they asked him what sort of characteristics did he look for in a child before targeting them. And he said, more important than the characteristics of the child, he looked at the characteristics of the family. The first thing he mentioned was that if he perceived the father to be a threat, he stayed away. Which tells us a few things, dads. One, you better be a threat. But two, you better be present enough in your child's life to where they know you're a threat. And I would say it tells us one more thing that's very interesting. There's a lot of people right now that seem hell-bent to have sexual conversations with our children without our knowledge. Those are the same people telling us that the very things that make you a threat are manifestations of toxic masculinity. So maybe we shouldn't listen to those people. Damn, son. All right, controversial video. I already know. I see the comments getting ready to blow up. Um, I'm going to focus on, I think, one of the most important parts of this video, and this can be great messaging to the dads in your own schools, is he's talking about a, a YouTube video where they interviewed someone that was a, a horrible like uh, uh, pedophile, essentially, um, and had uh, done a lot of damage to a lot of kids. Um but when you hear about how he targeted kids, he didn't target based on the kid. He targeted based on the father. If the father looked like a threat, he wouldn't target the child because there's too much risk there, right? They always say that that predators, whether it's child predator or, or someone just looking for a victim, they never have a plan A and a plan B. They have a victim A and a victim B, which means if victim A looks like they're going to put up a fight or put up resistance, they're going to go for victim B that is a weaker person. So what does this mean for all of us, for all the dads listening, first of all, is if you're not training regularly, if you're not staying in shape, there's no way in hell you're going to look like a threat. Uh, interesting thing happened once. Uh, I was driving to a jujitsu class and someone rear-ended my car in the parking lot of a grocery store. And when they rear-ended my car, I saw the guy get up and he got out and he looked like he wanted to yell and fight, even though he rear-ended me. As soon as I got out of my car, I had my jujitsu pants on. I had a, just a normal t-shirt on. As soon as I got out and stood out of my car, his demeanor immediately changed. We just put up his hands and he went, uh, I, I'm so sorry, dude. I am so sorry. Please don't get mad. And all I did was get up out of my car. And what? why, why did that happen? It's because he thought that I was a threat. He thought that if he tried to be aggressive that it probably wasn't going to turn out in his favor. So the, the same is true with all of us, right? For us that are parents, listen to what we just heard. We have to be visible as a threat. I don't want anyone messing around with my family. I don't want anyone looking at us and thinking we're an easy target. Well, hearing what we just heard, that's relying on me to show up as a threat, as a person. And this is something that I think is essential to talk to about with the, the parents at your academy is that the dads need to show up as a threat. If you're, if you're not taking care of yourself, if you're, if you're not training, you're not going to have the confidence when you walk around with your family to show up as a threat. And then the second part that they talked about I love is you have to be present in order to be showing up as a threat. Because if it's just a mom and her kids, there's no threat there, right? So dads have to be present. Um, I love that video. I love that piece of information. Uh, even though it's coming from uh, a very dark source, it is important information for us to remember is that we need to show up as that threat. And I'm going to take it one step forward and move it sort of over to the business side of us as martial arts instructors. You need to show up as what the end result your students want to look like. One more time. You need to show up in your school as the finished product, the end result of what your students should want to look like and what they should want to achieve, which means if you are a martial arts instructor, if you're a martial arts school owner and you're not training regularly, like daily, if you're not taking good care of yourself, your students 
are going to look at you and not want to be like you. They're not going to be motivated to train. They're not going to be motivated to get better. And it's funny, um, when I was working for a, a fitness franchise, we always said that the student base looked like the main coach of the fitness centers. So for example, I remember there was one studio that it was owned by uh, an older couple that was part of their retirement plan to, to open up the studio, right? The wife was not into fitness at all. She didn't train herself regularly. She didn't work out, but she was the one teaching and running classes at the studio. And because she didn't fit the bill, she wasn't actually doing the work herself. Literally their entire, their entire member base looked like people that are the same body type as the person teaching class because they're not going to try and push to improve themselves, right? As hard. But when you have someone that's in good shape, that's moving fast, that still has dynamic martial arts technique, guess what's going to happen with your student base? They're also going to mimic that. Sorry, hitting the mic all over the place here. They're, they're going to mimic that. We want them to mimic the best versions of ourselves. So it's important to make sure that we are actually showing up as the best versions of ourselves, okay? Oh, yes. We're, we're going to go to a, a McDojo video here. This will be great. Let's jump in. We do not train to be merciful here. Mercy is for the weak. Here on the street. In competition. I would think we need to watch you wear this. This dude is who you don't want to show up as for your students. All right. This is bullshit. <laughs> this is the worst martial arts I've ever seen in my life. Um, unless the guy's just like breaking wind and we can't tell because there's music over it. And that's why people are falling down. Uh, all right. I wish Johnny was here to look at this video too. His commentary would be hilarious. I would love for all of you to take a step back from your curriculum, from your tradition, from your style, and just audit what you're teaching and ask yourself some questions. Would this work in most scenarios? If the answer is no, get rid of it. Is this something that is applicable today? I had a video um, of me talking about curriculum and some traditional martial artist commented on there of that he likes teaching what he's teaching because it could have saved someone's life centuries ago. That's real. That's re like it. He's like, it could have saved someone's life centuries ago. Centuries ago. Centuries ago. But the dude commented using an iPhone. <laughs> He's embracing innovation and technology, but wants to go back in time and protect someone centuries ago using his outdated martial arts techniques. Madness, as Johnny Tension would say. Madness. Guys, you, you can't be so attached to your curriculum that you ignore truth, that you ignore realism. Just Google MMA fighter verse and watch MMA fighter versus Wing Chun guy. Watch MMA fighter versus Wushu guy. MMA fighter versus Kempo guy. They all end the same way. The MMA fighter always freaking wins. And I'm not saying you have to do MMA at your school. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is we have to cut out the fat. I grew up doing traditional martial arts, guys. I grew up doing Tengsudo, Hapkido, Kabuto. I've been in different self-defense situations throughout my life. Never had someone grab both my wrists. Never have someone do a down block before they step in and punch at me. Uh, 95, maybe more percent of everything that I learned, while it might have been great for fitness, while it might have been great just for general knowledge of how the body moves, was not applicable to actually protect yourself in a real situation. And I think there came a point in history where these grandmasters were trying to one-up each other and have the most moves and do demos and make their demos look bigger. I know what I said. Make your demos look bigger. I get it. But it wasn't applicable. We need to cut out the fat, guys. We got to cut out the fat and make sure that we're teaching things that are actually going to help our students in these situations. Next, David Goggins. don't understand you anymore. David Goggins. When people don't understand you anymore, you're in that spot of obsession and drive where people are like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? I don't want to talk to you, man, because you're not going to get it. You will never understand what is wrong with me. And that's why I'm so fucking glad you don't, because I'm in the right fucking spot. Can we play that first part one more time? When people don't understand you anymore, you're in that spot of obsession and drive. 
when people don't understand you anymore, you're in that spot of obsession and drive. Um, God, this resonates so much. And this took me a really long time to realize because I was, I put so much value in the opinions of other people when I was younger that like, if they didn't understand me, I would lose sleep over it. I'm like, why don't they agree with me? Why don't they like me? And I, I was very much a people pleaser when I was younger. And what it, what happened is I was giving away my power to the opinions of other people, the power to make decisions myself for my best interest and my family's best interest and my business's best interest. I was giving away that power to the opinions of others. And then here's the thing I, I started to realize over the last like three to five years is the more that people question me and don't understand what I'm doing usually means that I'm on the right track to doing the right thing, especially in this industry, I hate to say. And it was funny, we we, uh, we do these monthly business intensives for our mastermind and everyone that comes in person, we take them out to lunch afterwards. And uh, I remember one of our mastermind clients was sitting next to me and uh, we were talking about like the Arizona sort of martial arts scene and everything. And uh, she brought up someone that was like talking crap about me. Uh, and, and about sort of where we were heading with, with move and everything. And I just sort of laughed and I'm like, huh, I was like, that's confirmation. We're moving in the right direction. And she goes, you surprisingly have so many people that talk shit about you all the time, Adam. She's like, it boggles my mind how you don't let it bother you. And here's the thing, guys, people that talk shit about what you're doing and where you're going, it's because they are uncomfortable with your growth. They're uncomfortable with where you're going because you are going to outpace them and outstep them. Take it as a compliment. Okay. All the people hating on you, they're, they're hating from below, right? I, I played the video in the last reaction podcast when uh, the pastor was talking about Game of Thrones and he goes, when you notice Game of Thrones, everyone always attacks King's Landing, but King's Landing never goes out of the way to attack everyone else, anyone else because King's Landing is at the top. They're the city that everyone wants to conquer. Everyone wants to be like them. So all the people from the bottom attack up. And the same thing is true with your haters in life. It's always people 10 steps behind you. It's always people that don't want you to outgrow them, to make more money them, to, to be happier than them. Fuck those people. Ignore them. Take it as a compliment that they don't understand you because it means you're going in the right direction. All right, let's jump into some Steve Harvey. If you stay in your comfort zone, that's where you will fail. You will fail in your comfort zone. Success is not a comfortable procedure. It is a very uncomfortable thing to attempt. So you got to get comfortable being uncomfortable if you ever want to be successful. Start putting some pressure on. Put some pressure on yourself. Success is an uncomfortable process. It is 100% true. Because here's the thing, guys. Success requires you to do things you've never done before. Success requires you to take risks that you've never taken before and take chances that you've never taken before. There's so many times in my life that I can remember making a decision that made me so uncomfortable in the moment, but then looking back at it, I'm so glad I did it. Some of the decisions, when you hear them, you're gonna be like, that was a stupid decision. You got lucky, it worked out. Maybe so, okay? Um, I remember uh, we needed a key hire for one of our companies and we couldn't afford the hire at the time. So what did I do? I took out a line of credit to be able to afford this hire, knowing that we couldn't pay for them in the moment, but knowing that bringing them on would help us to elevate in the right direction where that line of credit would be able to pay it off in no time. Risky? Yes. Did we have to take a chance for growth? Yes. Did it pay off? Absolutely paid off. When I joined my first mastermind, I, uh, I went to one of these events. I got invited as a guest for free. And I immediately realized that this was the room that I needed to be in in order to get to the level I wanted to be at. Here's the problem. I couldn't afford it at the time. It was like $30,000 and you had to pay it all up front. And I was making a decent salary at the time doing what I was doing, just getting ready to start my second business. But I didn't have $30,000 to pay all at once. So I did at I don't recommend this. I didn't tell my wife. I didn't tell my business partner. I just put 30 grand on a credit card to pay for the mastermind. But here's the thing. I didn't do it out of selfishness. I did it because I knew if I invested in myself, I'd be able to get that. I'd be able to learn something to get that money back and pay it off in no time. It took me 30 days to pay back that $30,000. 
As soon as I went to the next meeting, I got something I needed immediately to help increase the revenue across all my businesses. And within a month, we paid off $30,000. And now it's, a, now it's an awesome success story, right? Could have been bad, <laughs> absolutely. But sometimes it, it, it gets you taking those risks. Sometimes it gets you changing your daily routine and, and doing some things differently. Like um, 10X Health, I've talked about a lot on this. Doing your blood labs, I've talked about a lot on this podcast. But all of those things were foreign to me the first time I started learning about them. I wasn't sure if it was going to work. I wasn't sure if if it was going to have a drastic effect. Looking back, they were two of the best things I ever did to increase my happiness, my energy, and how I feel on a daily basis. And I am so damn glad that I actually went out of my comfort zone to learn about something different. Same thing when it came to investing. I knew nothing about investing. I knew nothing about making my money work for itself or compound. I didn't know where to put my money. So I started educating myself on it. I started taking some chances and in, in investing. Started seeking out people uh, that could do it better than me and paying them to do it, aka a financial advisor. I didn't know if the financial advisor thing was going to work for me, but I had to take that chance. Uh, a lot of us have been in our comfort zones for way too long. And here's the way you can tell it if you're in your comfort zone for way too long. This. This. You just stay at this level because it's comfortable and it's easy and you don't have to do too much extra work to stay at this level. Well, when are you going to take your foot and put it on the gas to start doing this? Change is scary. New things are scary. And with success is going to come new problems. That's part of it. But you become better equipped to handle those problems the more you experience problems. It just gets easier. You're able to think through it in a, in a clearer way. And you're going to have more clarity on your decision-making as a result. And then when you encounter the same problem again in the future, you're like, oh, I already, I've been through this before. I know what to do. And you become more confident in your problem solving. But that doesn't happen without getting uncomfortable. Jotty has one of my favorite quotes of all time. He says, sacrifice, suffer, succeed. That's the formula. You have to sacrifice. There's something that is in the old version of yourself that you have to give up to create the new version. I'm reading this book right now called Profiles of Power and Success, and they talk about creative destruction. And it profiles 14 of the most powerful and successful people in history. And one of the common things they all use was creative destruction. They had to destroy something old to build something new in its place. For some of you guys, you have to destroy pieces of your current identity to build a stronger, better, more fruitful identity for the future and for your future goals. So my question is for you, what what are you going to be willing to sacrifice? Are you going to be willing to go through suffering in order to succeed? Because sacrifice and suffering are two required things in order to succeed. You're sacrificing time. You're sacrificing money. You're sacrificing old bad habits. And then there's going to go through some uncomfortableness where you're suffering through it, where it feels difficult, where it feels tough, where it's hard to figure out. But then after you go through the suffering comes the success. All right, next video. Even if I do a good job, I always wonder, you know, how I could have done it better. I rarely celebrate anything. And um, just for anyone watching this that's wondering how this happened, you know, that's really the answer. It's, um, it's being so unsure how you're getting it done that you just, you just kind of keep going in the hopes of figuring out the formula. Um, just feeling so lucky and blessed that the fear of losing, it keeps you up at night. I identify with this video so damn hard. Um, listen to the first Even line. Even if I do a good job, I always wonder, you know, how I could have done it better. I rarely celebrate anything. Even if I do a good job, I wonder how I could have done it better. I think that is a character trait of greatness. I think no matter how well you do, you're always looking back and you're thinking, you know, I did, I did decent on this, but... If I was to do it again, what would I change? Well, what would I learn from this this last attempt at it so I can make the improvements necessary to take it to the next level the next time I attempt it? Like These are some easy things to implement in your business. You do like post-event debriefs after every event with your team. You say, hey, what do we do good? What can we do better next time? So that way you're always elevating the events you're doing in your business. Same thing with marketing campaigns. You do a marketing campaign, you audit it afterwards. What worked well about this campaign? What didn't? What do we need to change for future campaigns? The part of this that really resonates with me is that I rarely celebrate part. And I don't know if this is a good or bad thing, okay? Um, my mentality 
is that my celebration will come when I'm finished and not until I'm finished. And we've hit some amazing milestones in all of our businesses. Uh, this year, our total business growth has doubled from the previous year. Um, we, we hit our, our same revenue from last year by the 1st of August of this year, which is cool, but I'm not celebrating. I'm not like throwing a party for myself because of that, because I'm not done yet. We, we haven't finished yet. I have a specific plan of the next 10 years, have it mapped out. Travis knows this to a T, but what our 10-year goal is, guess what? When I hit that 10-year goal, there's going to be a massive fucking celebration. Massive. Like the most massive celebration you can think of. But until I hit that 10-year goal, let's keep moving forward. Like we accomplished it. Awesome. I want my team to celebrate. I want you guys to feel good, but I'm not celebrating until I hit that 10-year goal. And I, I think that the powerful thing that comes from that is you become so clear and focused on your vision that you're not letting yourself take time off of the vision. You're not letting yourself step back and get distracted with other things. When, when you have this mentality of, I'm going to celebrate when I'm finished, it just keeps you focused and driving forward. Because there's times that I think people celebrate too much for small victories. And then they're like, all right, this is awesome. They, they have a great celebration and then they get comfortable being right there afterwards. And they don't continue to grind and continue to move forward. So I, I honestly think that um, there's times to celebrate, but the times to celebrate is when you're finished. You, you celebrate at the end, not in the middle. All right, this one's going to be great. Martial arts are all rooted in absolute paganism. Mm -hmm which is really Satanism. The martial arts is allowing demons to come in you. You put on that uniform and you go into that karate studio, you are bowing your knee to Satan and you are letting demon spirits come inside of you. The martial arts emphasize the inactivity of the mind. The green belt referring to growth, and really what it's referring to is growth spiritually. You're growing in the fact that you're growing in this, this fake, pagan, demonic energy inside of you. When you get to the brown belt, which refers to blood, and then the brown belt is when they start to go more in depth about this chi, this energy, really supernatural strength and ability to be able to move people without touching them. All of these martial arts are, are rooted in paganism yes. that comes from the pits this of is about hell. the greatest and the worst video i've ever seen in my life uh these people went down some youtube rabbit hole freaking deep holy crap um obviously i agree with nothing in this video uh there's some words i want to use for these people right now that i, I think would get me canceled so i'm just not gonna say them holy crap okay so a little background here i i grew up uh and my I had a very like lower middle class, maybe middle class uh, uh, upbringing. My parents like couldn't afford a lot, but my mom like bent over backwards to make sure that I could go to like a Christian private school. Um, and I know that it put a ton of financial stress on my family. So I, I'm super appreciative of it. But it was interesting because, and I'm not knocking any religion, I'm, I'm still a Christian to this day, but uh, this specific school, they saw martial arts as evil. Like they, my dad owned a martial arts school and we were sort of like the outcasts of like the entire school just because they thought we just want to like punch people in the face and stuff. Um, these people are, are in their own reality, in my opinion. Uh, I'm sure all of you guys will, will agree with that as well. I have no, I would love to see their research. Uh, if, if anyone knows these people, can you tag them in this video? Can you tag them in this podcast? Um, and I'm going to challenge the two people in this video Post all your research. Let me know where you found this. Let me know where in the Bible it says martial arts is evil. Uh, in the Bible that's full of war stories, show me where martial arts is evil. I would love to see this. Um, oh, I hope they get tagged in this. It would make my freaking day. If you guys can find these people, Relentless Army, start tagging them. Let's go. All right, let's jump to the next video. That last one bullshit. Eddie and I talk about this shit all the time. People who are in jiu-jitsu and train on a regular basis, they're healthier people. Their egos are healthier, especially men. They're easier to talk to. They're easier to hang out with because they're facing reality on a regular basis. That's something my Taekwondo teacher told me when I was a little kid that I never forgot was that martial arts are a vehicle for developing your human potential. 
and nothing in my life has ever put me in face with reality better than jujitsu. Because I think, you know, in life we can all distort our perception of things in order to make ourselves more comfortable, in order to make ourselves accept where we are. And there's a lot of people out there that are running around life full of shit. You can't be full of shit when you do jitsu. When you do jujitsu, it's impossible to be full of shit because reality comes at you in the purest form possible. A life or death struggle using your determination, your focus, your techniques, your mind, and your training, and over and over and over again. And it's reality, and if you fuck up and you get caught in a triangle, you've got to tap, and that is the end of the story. It's, it's as real as can get, and that has made me a better person. It has uh, made me a better man, it's made me understand myself, my weaknesses, my strengths, the shit I need to work on. Jiu-Jitsu has been one of the most valuable tools that I've ever had in my life. I wish I gave a speak, speech that good when I got my black belt. Holy crap. Um, what I love about that is martial arts is a vehicle for your human potential. Tell your parents that when they're coming in, when you have new members. Like, hey, this isn't just kicking and punching. Like, the martial arts we teach is a vehicle to discover the human potential. That is a powerful freaking line. Um, the other thing I want to say about this is he talks a lot about how jujitsu specifically keeps you humble. It puts your ego in check. It gives you a dose of reality. I think that's true with really any type of sparring that you're doing. You, you need. We need to regularly put ourselves in these positions where we can get humbled, where we can put our ego in check. And in my opinion, the people in our industry that have the highest amount of ego don't ever put themselves in a position for themselves to be challenged because they don't want to be seen failing. They don't want to be seen failing in front of their students. So they just stay inside of their nice little comfortable box as a, a eighth degree black belt whose stomach grows more and more every single year. And uh, that belt, those belt tails shrink, 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 shrink year after year because they never want to challenge themselves. Us as leaders, as coaches, we have to be challenging ourselves on a regular basis because it keeps you humble. It, it puts your ego in check. I spar at least once a week. Sometimes I'll spar with our coaches on Sundays at our school. Sometimes I'll spar where I train. And even when you're sparring someone better than or someone worse than you, there's still a moment where they'll catch you with something. And then you're like, that was a good hit. That was good. Like, I, I didn't see that coming. And it humbles you for that moment, and you realize your shit's not as good as you think it is. We need that as martial artists. We need those moments where we're sparring people better than us. And, and here's the thing, like, so many of us only spar our own students, or we only spar, like, our instructors, and that's it. Here's the problem with that. If you're the best person in your school, you're getting challenged very, very rarely. You need to put yourself in positions where... You're actually training against people that are better than you, which means if it's not in your own school, you go somewhere else and you find someone that's better than you to train with. Like, uh, some of you guys got to meet my coach, Randy, uh, at the at the Relentless Summit uh, when he was doing the, the pad holding class, right? He is so much high, such a higher level striker than me and MMA fighter. He's a, a three, I think three times Golden Glove. I might be messing that Golden Glove boxer as well. He just levels and levels above me in terms of striking. And that's the whole reason I travel the length that I do to train with him is because I need that different perspective. I need someone that's going to challenge me and make me work harder than I'm currently working. That's going to make me do different movements that my body's not used to. There's so many times when we're training that my brain and my hands and feet will fuck up. And then I get those humble moments where I was like, oh, I stepped around or I stepped right into that. I shouldn't have done that. And then he coaches me on how to correct it. You should be doing something that's forcing you to make mistakes. You should be doing something that's forcing you to get outside your comfort zone and put yourself in a position where you can be humbled because it keeps your ego in check. And at the same time, it allows you to become a better student and a better instructor simultaneously. Okay. You guys ready for a video from a, another martial arts consultant in the industry? It's probably going to stir some shit up. Let's do it. How many are getting parents involved? One of the things uh, Master Oliver did that uh, I didn't agree with in the beginning, but I'm uh, all for it now. He only charges for two people. 
Everybody in the family's free after that. Because the prices he charges, if you can get two in, we get three or four or even five, that just means that's going to be an easy upgrade. Our upgrade, almost $60,000. So we have five in that, fine. You upgrade two, but guess what? The others are free. So don't they get upgrade two? So two for five. So that's an easier upgrade when you divide it out. Now, is that how we sell it? It's $60,000? No. No. It's this much down. Okay. I wish Jonathan Frank was here for this one. Uh, God. This is super old school to me, in my opinion. Um, basically what he's saying in this video is that if you have a family coming, you, you charge for the first two people and then the rest of the family gets to train for free. I have a lot of experience with this model because my dad did it for years. Um, and I will be the first one to say it completely killed his profit, completely killed his profit. And he had 300 plus students at his school and was not very profitable because a majority of those, not majority, but I would say a third at least of those people were training for free because they were family memberships. You guys all have margins in your school, profit margins, hopefully. Hopefully you know what those are. I've talked about it before. The, the minimum goal should be 15% profit margin. Uh, we see clients that are at like 25, 30%, and I'm so happy to see that. None of them do family add-on memberships. None of them discount families. None of them allow two paid and the rest trained for free. It was interesting. I met with, um, so about a month and a half, you know, I, I go to visit this uh, pretty well-known martial arts organization in the industry. And I'm meeting with the, the owners of the organization. And basically they brought me in because they're having some business issues, not them personally, but some of the, the locations, the organization are struggling on the business side of things. And uh, a different consultant came in and start, started to tell him, not the one in the video, but a different one came in and started telling him to do, hey, just do it where you sign up two people, those two people pay full price, and the rest of the family gets to train for free. And here's what happened. All of their profit margins went to shit. They started losing money. Even though their, their billing would start to climb a little bit, they weren't actually keeping any more money because you're discounting your margins so much. If we think about this from just a purely math side of things, okay? If we know that the the bottom goal for profit should be 15% and we have schools doing like 25 or 30%, okay? Let's just stick with the 15% though. If the bottom level goal of profit is a 15% margin, if I have a family of two come in and then I have two more people in the family join, but these two are joining for free, what's my margins on that? I have four people training for the price of two, which means if I just let two other individual people take those spots on the mat, I would have double the revenue of two plus another two in the family. Now, some people are going to argue that, well, families train longer. Show me the data on that. Show me the data that families train longer than an individual. Because I have individual students at my school that have been training for years. Since before I was even at the school, they've been training. Individual students. Guess what? We also have families been in training for that long. We do no family discounts. We do no family like add-ons. It's everyone pays full price because every spot on your mat has a specific value to it. Why would you discount a spot on your mat when you could fill that spot with someone willing to pay full price? Then also, if we look at, and his, his point about upgrades made zero sense. He's like, two for five. So yes, you have people paying for the price of two, but getting five people trading at that price. <laughs> I don't see the benefit of that. Um, I think to me, this is just archaic thinking. If you look at the fitness world, who has scaled at a much higher level than us, way more fitness locations across the world than martial arts locations. The average fitness location revenue is double than the average martial arts location revenue. Why? They must be doing something right. You don't need to discount additional family members. It's okay if they don't have their whole family training in it. They don't need to have the whole family training. If you have the right marketing system, guess what? 
you and you enroll two people full price in that family and the rest don't want to join no problem because i have new people coming in daily that do want to join and pay full price for those spots there's no reason to give away spots on your mat for free it is insanity it is insanity quote me on that it is insanity full price you guys are changing lives on a daily basis you deserve to be compensated for that you deserve to build a legacy for your families and a legacy for your kids and you deserve to change the meaning of your last name forever. That doesn't come by giving away spots on your mat for free. Doesn't. I will be looking forward to all the shit talking messages on that topic. Let's jump to the next video. If you don't struggle in practice, you're never gonna get better. If you were to watch me train, I'd look as tired as they were because that's what you're supposed to be. Now, when you're running 17s and you're running sprints, you're not supposed to feel great. You're supposed to be tired, like exhausted. That's the point, you know, and that's what practice is. So I, I really liked it. I really enjoyed it because that's the only way you get better is by pushing yourself past exhaustion. All right, here, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a little activity right now. I want you to take an emotional detachment from your business and from your classes for a second. And I want you to be brutally freaking honest with yourself. When was the last time you had a class in your school where all the students were exhausted at the end, where they looked like they were struggling to get through the class? When was the last time you made them push into that mental toughness zone to finish the class? When was the last time that happened? When, uh, and, and I talked about this on the podcast with Jody. when Jody and I watched like that 70 some hours of, of class footage that we were sent. We said it before out of all the classes we watched, there was maybe two classes where we actually saw students sweating. How are you getting them better? If they're not getting outside their comfort zone, how are you turning them into athletes? If they never sweat, if they never struggle, if they're never exhausted, like one of the greatest compliments I've ever gotten from a parent is when they're like, they're like, Adam, that class was so hard that Johnny fell asleep on the way home because he was so exhausted. To me, that's a freaking win. That means we did our part of the job. If your students are showing up to class and leaving and they're not sweating, they're, ne they're never going through struggle in class, your standards are too low and your classes are too damn easy. It's as simple as that. And it, this is an epidemic in the martial arts industry. We baby our students because we don't want to make it too hard for them because we think if we make it too hard, they're going to quit. We think if we make them uncomfortable, they're going to quit. We think if we make them uncomfortable, the parents are going to complain. I'll tell you this. In our school, the parents want us to push their kids. They want us to exhaust the kids. They want us to develop mental toughness within these students. Because if they develop mental toughness in a controlled environment where they're working out, what do you think is going to happen when they get in the real world? They're going to carry that mental toughness with them. When stuff gets hard, they're not going to look for the easy way out. They're going to look for how they can push through. They're going to look for solutions. They're going to have a stronger inner voice than anyone else because that inner voice is going to tell them to push through, to not give up, that success doesn't care if they're tired. Success doesn't care if they're sweating. Success doesn't care what they feel like doing. Success cares about results, right? Your students need to develop mental toughness. We live in a society where mental toughness has been evaporated, where everyone is offended by words, literally offended by words. How do you go through life and be successful if words offend you? At this last Relentless Summit, we put a slide up on the screen of a bunch of negative comments from my videos. If you read the comments, they are graphic. They are terrible. They are people saying like the worst possible things you can say to a human. They're saying to me in these comments. If I cared or let words offend me, I would have quit years ago. We have a responsibility to develop the mental toughness in our students where their, their brain is bulletproof. Their mind is bulletproof. They don't let the word, the negative words of other people affect the decisions that they're making to better themselves. 
And if you're not getting your students to struggle in class, I can guarantee their mind is not bulletproof. And I can guarantee they're going to be easily offended by words. They're going to be easily offended by all of the crap and magic and fairy dust out there that is happening in our world right now. We need to prepare them better. We have a responsibility to do that. So I appreciate you if you gave yourself a brutally honest opinion of the last time your class actually suffered. And then my second question pertaining to this is how often is it happening? Is it a rare occasion or is it a normal occasion? I know that personally, when I train with my coach, I suffer every practice, man. I go through, you can see like the spray of sweat across the entire mat when I'm done training. So much to the fact that I start slipping on it when I'm training. Let's do that for our students. Let's get them sweating. Let's get them taking their training to the next level. We got two more. Let's finish up strong. Are you setting anything up or are you just trying to hit? That's, that's why you're not getting any better because you're not thinking about anything. You're not thinking about how to get there. You're just swinging and you're getting hit doing that. This doesn't change on what you're doing. Are you throwing a jab? Are you trying to land the jab? Yeah. No, you're not because you're throwing it here. This is not, You throwing a punch here is not throwing a jab. This going here is not throwing a jab. You're not doing this because your hand is here every fucking time. Why you get hit? Can, th this is such a good video for our industry to hear. Okay. Um, I would say 99.9% .9 of the time when I see people spar in our industry, they're just trying to hit. They're just trying to kick the other person, trying to punch the other person. That is not how you get better at fighting. You want to, if you want to follow one of the best people, the best fighters at setting up techniques, watch Sugar Sean O'Malley. He is so good at fainting and setting up techniques to get them in the right spot. Volkanovski, even though he lost his last fight, is also insanely talented at this. Too many of us are letting our, our kids and our students spar and just try and hit each other. You're not teaching them the science of fighting. You're not teaching them how to play chess. They're playing the rawest form of checkers when they're trying to hit each other, which is why it's so important that when we are actually teaching fighting, sparring, whatever you want to call it, we're teaching this, we're teaching them the science of it. We're teaching them how to set up the move they want to land with. When, when I spar with our team on Sundays, okay, I will show them a move. I will show them how to set it up. And then when I spar with them, I will actually do the setups of the move. So I'm going to faint. I'm going to faint. I'm going to faint and then boom, I'm going to hit them. Last time I was sparring with them, we, we were teaching how to use the cross to set up an angle step to then go in for the jab cross because your, your head movement is going to be the same. So when I cross, my head's coming to the side, right? When I angle step, my head's coming to the side in the same motion. So we worked on this and then when we sparred, guess what I was doing? I'm going cross. I'm going cross. Not even care if I'm hitting, I'm going cross because that's not what I'm trying to hit with. Then I'm moving my head like I'm going to cross, breaking the angle, and then boom, I hit them. And here's what happened. As soon as it happened, he goes, you hit me with the move you just taught us. But there's a reason for me doing that is because I wanted to show them in real time how this setup actually translates to the move that I want to strike them with or the move I want to hit them with. Too many of us are just teaching punch, kick, punch, kick. It doesn't work like that. You need to teach them how to set that up, how to disguise. Okay. If, if I'm just always trying to hit the person with the jab, that jab isn't being used to its full potential. Am I pausing, pausing the jab on the way up to get them to react, to create an opening for another move? We need to study this and we need to practice it ourselves. And if, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I don't even know where to start with this. You need to train at a higher level yourself. You need to find someone that knows how to teach this and start training with them on a regular basis. Johnny Tension is a master of this. Randy Stanky, who I, I train with, master of this. Ross Levine, master of this. Seek out the people that are masters at manipulation during sparring and disguising what they're doing to get the end result. It makes such a big difference. It, it turns you into a four-dimensional fighter when you understand how to set up the techniques you actually want to land with and you understand that not every technique you throw is being thrown to land. Okay, They're being thrown to elicit a reaction, to elicit a movement, to elicit a step in a different direction 
to better set up whatever the next technique you're going to throw. That is like the four-dimensional fighting. One-dimensional is I'm just trying to hit you with every single technique I throw. All right, last video by my guy, Dan Martell. I love this dude. If you have not read Buy Back Your Time, it is probably one of the best books for efficiency and productivity. 80% done by somebody else is 100% awesome. This is my test. Would you be okay having somebody else pack for a trip for you? What if they forget a certain shirt I need for a date or an event? My shoes and I can't work out. This shows up in your business all the time. And because you can't let go, you'll never have the time in your calendar to grow. And you will always be held back because you can't have anybody take things over. That's why 80% done by somebody else, for me, it's freaking awesome because it's an hour I got back. It might take a few times to get good, but once it gets great, I never have to do that forever, which means I keep stacking and stacking and stacking opportunities opportunities to improve and at the end of the day if you want to grow your business you got to grow yourself Ooh, some people are triggered by that um i can't tell you the number of business owners i met that are afraid to give up control of tasks that are way below their pay grade and because of it they get stuck in a rut because they're not willing to give it up so they never free up that time which means they just continually add more tasks more things on their to-do list and because they're never giving up any of the other stuff and delegating to someone else, all of a sudden the to-do list keeps growing and they run out of time to get all of it done in. I think one of the best things you can do is hire a virtual assistant or an assistant if you can afford it. Um, when I first started, I really wanted to hire an assistant because I read Dan's book. Uh, I had multiple mentors tell me, you need an assistant, take care of your stuff, but I couldn't afford it at the time. So my first step was I hired a virtual assistant. You can hire a virtual assistant for so cheap. My first virtual assistant uh, was a, a woman that lived in Columbia. She wanted $5 an hour, which for them is good pay. It's competitive pay where she lived. So I hired her at $5 an hour and I could only even afford her part-time when I first hired her. So she was doing like 25, 30 hours a week for me max. But the small task she was taking care of was making my life easier. All my scheduling went through her. She managed my calendar. She managed my inbox. So when I go into my inbox, I didn't have all this junk mail I, I was seeing. I was only seeing the emails that I needed to respond to. Again, saving time. There's a thing called inbox zero. If you guys look on your phone and you look on your mail app, what's the number next to that mail app? Is it in the thousands? So one of the cool things about having an assistant is they take you to inbox zero, which means when I open my inbox, there's no emails in after I've responded because everything gets sorted in the right folder. So the only things I ever see in my inbox are the emails I need to respond to. And then I respond to those, they get moved to a different folder and I'm back to inbox zero at the end of every day. I don't manage that myself. I have my assistant do it. I have my virtual assistant do it when I first hired them. Uh, also, I'll say this, if you guys would like to hire a virtual assistant, you don't know where to go, shoot me a message. I'll connect you with the same person that I used to hire my first virtual assistant. I get no kickbacks from them whatsoever. It's, it's mostly just because I think it's such an essential thing to help take tasks off of the average school owner's plate so that they can focus on higher level, better revenue generating tasks, more strategic tasks for their business. And again, if you have not read the book, Buy Back Your Time by Dan Martell. Go order it off Amazon right now. It is such a crucial book. It's so, it's so well put together that it's like step one, do this. Step two, do this. Step three, do this. It's like a manual for how to have more time in your life. I recommend everyone to read it. But really, guys, 80% of what you're doing right now should be done by someone else next year. That's how you grow. That's how you continue to get to the next level. And whether it's hiring a person to take over that role. Like if we look at, at our company just this year, if you saw our podcast process a year ago, it was me setting up two or three cameras and then me setting up the audio. And then I'd go hit record on the audio. I'd hit record on the camera. I would sit here. I would record my podcast. Then I'd go hit stop on everything. Then I have to take the memory cards, put them in the computer, upload everything. Then I had to send it to someone to edit. And it was such a painstaking long process. Now we got Leah here who does all that shit for me. So I don't have to worry about that. And now there's no more blurry podcast episodes because Leah's there to make sure it looks good. You guys need to find ways to delegate and give up control over certain things. And sometimes it's hard with the things that are fun that you like doing. Like for example, 
There was a long time when I actually really loved doing graphic design for our business. But here's the thing, me doing graphic design wasn't helping us to grow the business because I was spending so many hours doing graphic design that I was spending no hours systemizing the business, growing revenue, finding ways to do marketing better because I was spending two to three hours a day on graphic design. I like doing it, but it wasn't helping me get to where we needed to go with the business. So then we started hiring graphic designers and so on. Um, there's so many people willing to work virtually or remote for a very, very affordable price, really for any aspect of your business. So there's always options to it. You don't need to be making a million dollars a year. You don't need to be having like a, a crazy income to be able to afford virtual assistance. And there's experts in all different areas when it comes to virtual assistance that you can use to buy back your time. Highly recommend you look into it. Guys, let me know what you thought about the episode. Uh, did you like it? Did you love it? What do you want to see more things of? Um, also, I want to say thank you to those of you guys that actually sent me videos to react to for this podcast. Some of the videos we actually looked at today, like uh, the one where there was another consultant talking about the family add-on, that was actually sent to me by someone else uh, that's a, a school owner that wanted my reaction to that video. So if you guys see any reels or anything that you want to DM me, I'll add them to the next reaction video that we do for the podcast. I'd be happy to give my opinion of it. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Please continue to like, subscribe, and share with your friends. We want to push this industry forward and we need a movement to do it. And you are part of that movement. We're unstoppable to the top. We about to go. That CEO, I need to know the impact. We about to grow. Competition, comical. Straight A one, we on the road. Money focused for the goal. Tell them what they need to yeah, know. Yeah, we unstoppable.